Every year in the United States, more than 21 million people become unemployed through layoffs, discharge, or job eliminations. Because of the 2020 pandemic, this number almost doubled. Even though millions of people are unemployed, each job loss is a very personal experience. One that Dale Kreienkamp, former human resources executive and founder of Thriving Through Transitions, do you not love that? Thriving Through Transitions knows firsthand. He's been through the process twice. Once after working 25 years for the same organization and once after 10 years. In both cases, he was fully committed to his place of work, sacrificing his personal life and family time. His unemployment was unexpected and impacted him not only financially, but also emotionally. Because people go through different stages with their emotions while unemployed, there are 80 devotions in his new book, How Long, O Lord, How Long? And they're organized by topic using the change curve, which Camp experienced. Anger, letting go, anxiety, fear, and worry, despair, job search, redirection, self-confidence, use of time, waiting, and why. Camp says, God allows us experiences that are often challenging and not much fun in order to strengthen us. Hmm. He then asks that we help others who are in a similar position. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Welcome to today's Heart Lift with Janelle. I am so excited that you have found your way here because today is such a good conversation. And you know we're in a new series, Becoming Stronger Every Day, based on my new book. But I'm inviting a very wise, very kind man, Dale Kreienkamp, in to help us understand how to become stronger every day through periods of transition. I don't know about you now. Now, Dale's a man. He's never had a baby, but I have to bring this up. The transition period in childbirth is, it is tough stuff. And so, you know, transition, when you define it, because here in the Stronger Everyday Community, I love words and I love the words underneath the words. So I had to start with the definition of transition. It means the process or a period of changing from one state to another. In writing, transitions are a word or phrase that connects one idea to another. But in childbirth, it's that final stage of the first stage of labor following early and active labor. And man, that is where it happens. That's where the baby decides I'm ready to come into this world. And transition is known, as Dale is going to tell us, transition is known most for its emotional 
challenges. So welcome, Dale. I am so happy to have you here. And you live in St. Louis where my sweet Brooke is. And so I am just so happy to have you. Welcome. Janelle, it is a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, me too. And so I, of course, I want to ask you to share your story because not only in the Stronger Everyday community do we love to talk about emotional health, but we love to hear stories because stories are where the true change happens. And I know that there's going to be many people who relate to your story. So tell us your story and how you came to write this book, How Long, Oh Lord, How Long? Actually, it begins in 2003. And at that time, I'd been with the organization I was with for 25 years. It was a large hospital in the metropolitan area. I was the head of human resources, and we had a new chief operating officer who had led the leadership team through an exercise to say, we need to trim some costs. And we decided the first step was to reduce the number of leaders because we thought it was important that leadership take the first bullet. There were going to be 25 leaders that were going to lose their job the following week. And my job, as I was meeting with the chief operating officer, was to spell out, first of all, how do I support the 25 leaders that are going to have a conversation with somebody that's not an easy conversation to have, saying to someone, you didn't do anything wrong, but we're going to say goodbye to you, even though you've been very faithful to us. Mm -hmm. And how do we support the 25 people that we're going to be told? that message. I've done nothing wrong, but yet my income, my livelihood is gone. And then how do we help an organization that had 4,000 employees, 1,000 on the medical and dental staff, another four or 500 volunteers? How do we help them understand what does this mean? Because everybody's question is, what's next? And uh, at that time, I had two children in college, one in private high school, and as I sat there laying out the plans to the chief operating officer, he thanked me. And then he stood up. And before he left, he paused behind his chair and he said, Dale, your name is on the list. Oh, no. So with those six little words, I became unemployed for the first time in my life. Wow. That was the beginning of it for me because I went into space that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't know what to do when I didn't have a job. And that was a, a journey of many months. And at the end of those months, I ultimately went into consulting. It's kind of another story. And then five years later, was hired by a client. And 10 years later, had a similar conversation to the first one. So twice I've been through unemployment. Mm -hmm. And as I came through, I went and looked for my book. And it didn't exist then in the first time. And it didn't exist the second. So it was kind of one of those, okay, Lord, I guess you've placed it upon my heart to write this. Wow. And the book is really written not on what I would call the tactical side. So in a job search, we think right. of the tactics that where do I find the jobs? How do I write a resume? How do I put myself out on social media? How do I interview? Those are, those are things we learn. But it's really the emotional side that becomes the most difficult people because this is a big transition for many people mm -hmm. in their life. And especially for people that have been somewhere for a long time, such as I was, it becomes a more difficult and challenging one. And so I wanted to speak to them, to those emotions, for two reasons. One, I wanted to normalize those feelings for them. So, oh, often, so, mm -hmm. so often we feel like there must be something wrong with me. And so I wanted people to know, no, these are, these are pretty normal things that you are experiencing. 
So I wanted to normalize that. And then I also wanted to give people a glimpse of what a person they cared about was going through, which is kind of why the title of my book has the subtitle of for those and for those who love them, because I can help and be a better friend or a family member if I know what you're going through. So I wanted to to do those two things. And then a third was to point people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so each, each devotion has a little bit of scripture. It's not heavily focused, but it kind of reminds people that's where the help and the hope and the healing that we need is going to be is, is through our faith. So that's, that's how it came. I have so much to say. (laughs) I'm just trying to resist. (laughs) First and foremost, I would really love if you would just take a moment and share with us, Dale, I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable, I think, in that moment when you are thinking you are going to go help 25 other people, right, get the news that they are now going to be unemployed. And when your COO, right, stepped behind his chair and he offers you that, what on earth? Like, can you, we, we talk a lot in our community here about the thought process, you know, and I like to take it down to four basic steps. Like what was the one word feeling you were feeling? Where did you feel it in your body? And what was the first negative thought that came? Like, just if you can take us there, because I know that's where transition begins. And I'm sure when we later on talk about that change curve I mentioned in the beginning. So can you just maybe mm-hmm. walk us through if someone gets that shocking, whew, shocking news? Yeah, I think shock is really what happened to me. And I think that's what happens to everybody. So it's not that you don't think it can ever happen. But when it really does happen, it, it just seems surreal. It's like, this is, is this a dream? Did I really hear this correctly? And And this chief operating officer was big on efficiency statistics. And he had said, as we were going through our exercise, you know, I'm looking for places where people are not in the top quartile of efficiency. And my my team was in the top 10%. So I really didn't think it would be. So there was just kind of the shock that it happened. And there was kind of a not certain, what do you do? What do you say? And I was given an option, which isn't always the case, but I was given the option to stay and help and execute the plan. Oh, I was going to ask you that. Or I could leave and I chose to stay. I felt a responsibility to the people that were going to hear that message that we do the best we could to prepare and support them. So I had to deal with that. And I actually went from that conversation with him into a conference call with my three of my team members in the room and just trying to suck it up and uh, get through the next call so that I could then kind of close the door and process. So it was, it was not an easy time. And at the same time, having to move into something at least distracted me, which was helpful. Right. Well, it speaks to your security as a human. (laughs) It also speaks to your integrity as a leader, because you were so much thinking about those 25 not expecting you to be one of those, you know, so that really speaks to your integrity as a leader. I think that you were able, yeah, yeah, that you were, you put someone else's pain over your own pain, which is, that just speaks to a leader. Like you cared so deeply and, and that is so admirable. And so I think, I think that is so important and powerful for 
all of us, whether we're facing the shock, the news that we're now unemployed, or perhaps some dire medical news, or (laughs) we're infertile, there's so many different ways to receive shocking news. Thank you for helping us to maybe be prepared in some way. And that's a a lot of what we want to do here as well is develop a strong sense of resilience and spiritual resilience so that when these types of things happen in our lives, we're able to bounce back, which is resilience, but spiritual resilience is bouncing back with a deeper knowledge of self and God. You know, I think that uh, there are more transitions in life than we even stop and think about. And we often aren't prepared because we think life is linear. You know, if I do these things, then this will happen. So if I don't do these things, I'll avoid this pain. And yet transitions happen to us when we often least expect it. Mm-hmm. And they are a shock to our system because we don't expect them. I think we would be better if I could go back and talk to my 20-year-old self. It would be to say, you're going to have things that happen to you in life unexpected and, and learn to roll with it a little bit better because they do. Statistically, thought- people are going to lose jobs and they mm-hmm. do every year. And so be ready for it rather than be surprised by it. And how do we do that? I love that you went back and talked to your 20-year-old self. And I'm asked, I speak a lot to parents and mamas for sure. And in my new book, uh, Stronger Every Day, I was asked the question, well, you know, how do you raise an eagle? You know, how do you raise a child who is willing to soar above the crowd and be independent and autonomous and not fall prey, right, to the ways and movements of culture and those things? So I guess I want to ask you that question, if you could speak into our lives that how do we prepare? How do we prepare for those times in our lives? This is a big question, I know, but I think you're I think you got it. How do you prepare in your early life for these types of situations that take your breath away, that are going to shock your system? I mean, I have my thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. I think mine would be that we need to be more comfortable with failing. So often we try and avoid failure. And I I watch parents who try and keep their kids from avoiding failure. It's the helicopter parents and the snowplow parents. And I have two sons and two daughters-in-law that are teachers, and they all talk about the challenges with parents trying to protect their children. And yet that's how we learn and we grow is through the times we fail. We learn something. We learn something about ourselves. And and I've often told people, everybody should lose a job. Not that you want the pain to go through that, but you really do come out stronger on the other end and you realize it is not terminal. Um, It's not going to kill you. It's no fun when you're in the middle of it, but it is an opportunity to strengthen you, to strengthen your faith, to strengthen in your relationship with your spouse and family. So it's through failing. And so I think if we could go back and and teach young people, especially Mm. that they're going to have these things happen, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. That's part of what they're learning. That's kind of how we learn what we're good at rather than just always avoiding it. Right. So you talk about the change curve and how you used the Kubler-Ross change curve to 
actually develop the flow of your book, How Long, Oh Lord, How Long, and put these 80, you call them devotionals, I call them exhortations, (laughs) encouragement. How did you use that change curve? And how is that critical as well to preparing ourselves for these times of transition in our lives? I would say it goes back to when I mentioned in writing the book that I wanted to normalize the emotions. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Say that again. Normalize. You want to normalize. Uh, it, the, the change curve really helped to do that. So the change curve by Dr. Keebler-Ross was really developed for the process of death and dying. So when you yes. have a terminal illness, and that's been adapted in the corporate world to deal with change. So when we're going to be faced with change of some sort, how do we get people through that change? And part of it is going through at the beginning, the things that are pretty normal, which is we're angry that we have to change. I don't want to change. Who moved my cheese here? I don't want to change. Did you get angry? Or did you walk through that phase yourself? I was more angry at times at the circumstances because it was just, Mm. I don't want to be unemployed. Some people are going to deal with the anger at the person, you know, who said that or anger at the company. If I had anger, it was at the circumstances. In fact, Mm. I don't think people are very good at dealing with anger. We tend to bottle it up. We don't think we're entitled to be angry. We think of anger as that person who's screaming and shouting that's out of control And in some ways, though, that's going to be part of the process. So I always tell people in the first stage of a transition, which is really kind of your loss, something has ended that you knew and you loved, we're going to struggle with letting that go and dealing with the anger and the pain. And one of the ways to do that is close the door in your house and just shout and cry and let God have it. He he can handle it. A friend of mine gave me a journal and I wrote for months on a regular basis, oh, wow. which helped get the feelings out, which then also became the basis for a lot of the devotions that are in the book. Yeah. Or talk to somebody, talk to a counselor and kind of get those feelings out. Because if, when you're in a transition, if you can't get past the loss, you can't move forward. It's like trying to run. And I was never very fast. They used to say it was like I was running with a washing machine on my back anyway. Oh, so if I'm looking backward, it's even more complicated. So it's how do we let that go? And so we've got to deal with that anger and that pain that we're feeling there. Yeah, I'm going to take a pause, if you don't mind, and actually read from your book. When you possess this book and have it in your hands, it's on page 29, and it's your short reading on I'm angry. Okay. (laughs) And it says, I'm angry. I just want to scream. This isn't supposed to happen like this. I wasn't supposed to lose my job. It wasn't in my plans. And listeners, fill in the blank here. Fill in the blank. I'm angry. I just want to scream. This isn't supposed to happen like this. What isn't supposed to happen? What are you dealing with facing right now? Maybe you're through the shock. You've just received some news or something. And you are, you know, as I like to say, when I free falled out of an airplane, you're in that free fall, 120 miles per hour, and I'm tumbling and I'm turning and I thought I was going to die. And so this wasn't in your plans. Dale writes, it's not how I saw the future. 
I'm really pissed off. It's so good. (laughs) Sound familiar? Have any of these thoughts come to mind lately? I think you are normal if they have, and I'd worry more if you had no anger at all. I could dissect this as a therapist, so and I might, so stay tuned, but I'd worry more, he says, if you had no anger at all. Who are you most mad at? The person who let you go? Likely your boss? The person from human resources who sat with your boss and helped deliver the message? Your coworkers, your staff, the president of the company, the board of directors. How about the economy? What's at a pandemic? Our nation's president, after all, isn't the economy his job? Congress, they pass the laws, don't they? The list is endless, but somehow we tend to come back to God. We're mad at him because he let this happen. He's God. He could have stopped it but he didn't. So let's be mad at God. I'm going to keep going because this is worth it. It's so good. We live in an imperfect world full of imperfect people and full of sin and pain. Because of this, bad things happen. I repeat, because of this, bad things happen, even to good people. Yeah, Dale hadn't done anything wrong. Our God loves you more than anyone else could ever love and care for you. Think about it. If you're a parent, what do you do when your children go through pain? You hurt for them and you probably even shed tears. I believe our Heavenly Father has and is shedding tears at the pain you are going through because of His love for you. Could God have stopped it? Yes, He has that type of power. But remember, it is in our weakness that he is the strongest. You need to get the book and keep reading on page 29 because Dale actually tells us how to deal with that anger. And so I encourage you to get that. But you just, Dale, said the most important part of becoming stronger every day. It doesn't always look like we think it looks. It looks a lot like weakness. It looks a lot like pain. And I I think you just told us that in that moment when you got that news, you right then and there began the process of becoming stronger every day. Because the end result of this to me is that you actually now have offered that help in this book to so many others. You could have gotten really bitter. And I like to say the difference between utilizing and embracing anger in the healthy way is the way that you are telling us to. Unbridled anger is where we rage and yell, and that ends up hurting us and our others. So thank you for helping frame healthy anger for us as well, because that's so essential and that's not being taught. So thank you. No, no. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I think most people suppress it and it's kind of like a, uh, kind of like an iceberg, it stays below the surface and then it does its damage later and that becomes the challenge. So in that in that first stage, people, they're gonna to have to deal with the anger, but they also feel, when you've lost a job, you feel like a failure. Yes, You didn't going, do anything yes. wrong, but you feel like a failure. And so you tend to wanna to retrench and pull back. Isolate. Um, 
Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I got cut from the baseball team. I didn't go home and pick up the phone and call my closest friends to say, hey, I got cut from the baseball team. I felt rejected. I felt like, you know, a failure. And that happens to people because we internalize what happened. And that's not necessarily the best for us. So you didn't do anything wrong. It's just economics or today it's the pandemic has cost millions of people jobs. Yes. Yes. You said 21 million unemployed, 21 million every year in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to put that in perspective for people. That's the number of job losses on average for the last 10 years, non-pandemic year. That's equal to every man, woman, and child that lives in the state of Florida. So think about that. That's, wow. that's the size of unemployment every year. So what we're talking about today, people go through a lot. Now, some people will maybe quickly move on and find the next opportunity, but some will struggle with it as they wrestle with what's going to be next for them and right. some yeah. of the challenges that they face. So one of the other challenges that I think a lot of people deal with is our identity is often too wrapped up in, in our job. Yes, uh, Dale. Yes. Speak to us. Yes. Well, for, you know, for me, I, I would say if I met you on the street prior to the job loss, I'd say I'm Dale Crankamp. And I'm the head of human resources for, and I would name the organization. Right. And then I'd also probably talk about some other things, but I would lead with that. And then all of a sudden you're unemployed and it's like, well, well, who am I? Well, Mm -hmm. I'm a lot of things that are far more important than my job. I've been a husband now of 42 years. I'm blessed with children. I'm blessed with grandchildren. Mm. And so there's more to me than that, but we tend to focus on the job. And so when our identity is tied up in the job, when you take that away, it, it makes us wondering who we are. Yes. Um, and it's probably more important whose we are than who. Thank you. But you are talking focus. our language here. I love this, Dale. Well, so we focus on the who, though. Um, and I don't, I don't know who I am. It becomes really hard for a lot of people to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, we call that, if I can say just real quickly, just to frame it for everyone in our community, because this is, this truly is the language of our community that we want to have a secure attachment. And that means we know who we are, we know whose we are. And when we have that, our identity is solid, it's secure. We don't have to have an identity outside of our, our own self. Right. And so when we when we place our identity in our jobs or in what we do, that's a disordered attachment. You know, instead of us going to work and expressing our gifts and talents and our identity. And so then, of course, if I'm then told I'm I'm no longer needed at that job, I'm still going to move through the change curve. We're going to go through anger. We're going to go through. Well, I think we're going to go through dealing with shame and embarrassment, and we're going to deal with a a lot of fear and worry. Mm -hmm. Um, And depending on how long the journey is, we'll probably deal with despair. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to deal with loneliness. Our self-confidence is attacked. And, you know, we can go on and on with all of those. And they'll always be there. Mm -hmm. That's normal. You're normalizing it for us. Those are normal, healthy movements of a transitional period completely normal how we get through it but what's not normal what's unhealthy as i would say 
is that we lose our sense of self. We get lost. But when you know whose you are and who you are, you can move through it and go, this hurts so bad and I hate it. It stinks. I don't want to move through anger and despair and all those things. But you look like you want to add. Yeah, I was just going to say in in the book, I have one of the devotions that relates to that. It really talks about the the who am I? And so often we want to attach it that as if God really cares what we do. Yes. He doesn't care what we do. He didn't care whether I ever was a human resource exec again or not. He just wants to love me and wants me to love him. And that is hard for us because we so want to earn in some way. We're earners. So let, let me earn let me earn mom and dad's love because I cleaned my room, because I did my chores, because I got a good grade. And so when we focus on the what we do, mm-hmm. and, and I'm guilty of it. I mean, chief Same of sinners is sitting across the <laughs> yeah. table from yes. you here. That becomes really the difficult part. And it's when we can start to realize that that doesn't really matter. And so that's part of the process of of letting go of those things. It doesn't mean I'm any less competitive or desiring to achieve and to do, but the better I am at learning to to let go of thinking I'm earning something, Mm -hmm. that's a big key. Yeah. And I think what I like to go back to that frame that when I frame myself and I know that whose I am and who I am, that when something like this happens in my life, it doesn't take away my value, worth, and dignity. And so it hurts, it's painful, it's life-shifting, all of those things, but it I know I'm okay, I have value, I have worth, and I have dignity just because I'm Janelle, and you have it just because you're Dale. You don't Mm -hmm. have it because you're whatever, whatever, leader of whatever. You don't have it because you're president of the United States. You don't have it because you're of what you do. It's because of who you are. And I think that when we possess that capacity to frame everything in our life through that, it helps us move forward with grace and with more peace and obviously with faith. Yes. Yes. I love that. You say one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and this isn't that the devotion that he just mentioned, who am I now that I'm unemployed? And that's in his new book, How Long, O Lord, How Long? He writes Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's worthy of reading. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You write, our identity is not found in what we do. Dale, this is the most critical part the most critical foundational part, and thank you for writing it. It's not found in what we do, but in what God has done for us. It's about God's grace, not what we do. Somebody needs to hear this today. I need to hear it today. And that can be hard to accept. We are God's handiwork in return. Whatever we do is done in thankful response to God's love. 
So beautiful and so well said. Okay, another, I just, I'm going to move on because I could just keep talking about right. for hours. What scripture you said was especially very helpful to you as you went through those transitions? And it's always hard for me to, to do one. So let me give you three. So I, I read another one for you. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's actually one of the three that I okay. would go to. And for me, not only did that one bring about grace, but it's the reminder that if I'm God's handiwork, I'm not junk if he created me. And yet we kind of feel like junk at times. That's one of the lies that we can listen to when we go through a difficult transition. So my other two favorites that I had to go back and remind myself was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding because the way we look at the world we can't sometimes figure this all out, and that just ramps up the anxiety mm-hmm. because we're, we can't. No, um, we want so, to, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. And yeah. so we, we have to let that for God. And then the other is uh, from Ephesians 3.20, which is mm-hmm. to him who can do immeasurably more than we could ever hope for or imagine. And sometimes, and, I, and again, I'm going to be guilty of this, we don't dream big enough dreams because when we've been hurt, we don't want to put ourselves out there because the risk is great. We're going to be hurt again that this won't happen. And so in some ways, we kind of constrain God and limit what can God do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just, gee, God, just give me another job that I can equal my income. Well, you know, maybe this is going to be an opportunity for you to start a new career in which you'll be wildly successful beyond your imagination. So dream and let God be part of those dreams and help Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. And sometimes he has to really push us out and that can feel like rejection and abandonment and all of those things. But sometimes I know in my life, he's had to give me a swift little kick in the butt and push me out of something so that I would dream bigger or would move into the bigger part, the bigger dream that he had for my life. When you told me that, it just brings back, there is another, hate to go back to this, there's another devotion in the book no, no. About, pot, about potting plants. Oh. And a friend of mine, when I had lost the job, she said, asked me if I was a gardener and, and said, sometimes for a plant to grow, you have to move it to a bigger pot. You have to move it to a different <laughs> pot with different soil in order for it to grow. And that was her encouragement to me to just accept that this was going to be a growth opportunity for me. But yeah, when you when you leave the safety and the comfort of where you are, it doesn't feel comfortable, but it can be the best thing for us. And God knows better than I know what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's when I try and figure it out myself that I will struggle. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had those struggling days. Yeah, I love that whole, I mean, it's not what you want to say first when, you know, after you get the news and you walk out into the other room, you don't want someone, oh, it's going to be a great experience for you, Dale. You're just going to get put in a new pot and you're going to grow bigger. You know, you're you're sensitive to what you say to people at the right time. And I love that's what you walk us through in this book is how to help others. So you mentioned that there are three things friends and family can do to support someone going through a job transition. Because I think this, like I said, the timing of our words, the timing of what to say and how to say it is really essential, especially during transitions. So help us out here. Help help equip us how to help others. 
Well, let me start with uh, just saying I understand why people struggle with being a friend to someone in this time because we often don't know what to say. No. And so that makes us not do rather than to do as if we're going to do something. Well, you know, candidly, when you've already lost your job, there's not much you can do or say to me that's going to be worse. So don't worry about that. And so it's why I often have people say to me, you know, I was really surprised by who did and didn't reach out to me. Yes. And the first thing that I'm going to suggest is be proactive in connecting with that person that you know who's unemployed. Mm. So often we say things like, gee, sorry to hear the news. If you need anything, let me know. Well, if you're unemployed and you lost your job, you're not really going to reach out and say, hey, I need help. Yeah, I need groceries. Yeah, it's the people that that are reaching out to you proactively. And so I was blessed. I had friends that would reach out and say, Dale, how are we doing? What can I do for you? Oh, Let's get together. Let's get a cup of coffee. Let's get lunch in order to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And they also didn't just do it once. They stayed connected. And that becomes really important that you stay connected to that person because this can be a long journey. It yeah. might be three months. It might be six. It might be nine People really kind of want to know who's going to be around with me. And the more people are there, the more this person, you become a safe place for them to talk about what they're going through. I'm so happy now you just me, said safe place. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, let me let me pause also and say this is also an opportunity if that person is married to reach mm-hmm. out to the spouse. Because yes. the spouse is really forgotten in job transitions. They're going through the same transition just a different seat on the bus. If I'm angry, my spouse might be angry at how I was treated. My wife might be dealing with the same anxiety about where where are we going to get the money to pay the bills? So we need to remember the spouse too in this process and check in on them. My wife would say to me how few people, they would come up to her and say, how's Dale? How's the transition going for him? What can I do for him? Rarely did they say, Deb, how are you doing? So, yeah, let's, so critical. let's remember spouses in that process. The second thing is they're going to need encouragement. So they need you to be an encourager. Mm-hmm. They don't control anything. That's one of the real problems we have is the realization is I don't control anything. Oh, that's such a tough one. That's and I so feel tough. helpless because I don't control anything. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to get up every day and keep working this process, which they don't control when a job's available. They don't control whether they're going to get an interview. They don't control whether they're going to get hired. They can influence and do things, but they don't have the ultimate control. So they need people that are just encouraging their efforts to say, stay with it. I'm proud of you. I, boy, I wish I could handle something as good as you are. Those are the the uplifters, and that can be verbally over the phone. It could be a text, an email, a note, a lot of ways to encourage, but they need continued encouragement. And the last way is when people are going through an unemployment transition, they actually need to get out and meet more people. Mm. The more people they meet, the more opportunities they have to tell about what they do, their gifts, their skills, be introduced to new people, which can open doors. Right. And the best way to do that is to reach out to the person you know and say, look, I've got a friend 
who's unemployed, would you give them 30 minutes of your time? And when they say, sure, I'll do that for you. Then when you connect them, the door is easier to go open rather than what what people often do is to say, oh, just send an email over to so-and-so and and use my name. No. That doesn't work really well. (laughs) And so it's going to be getting out to meet more people and do the introduction to help the introduction part. Yeah, which is challenging in the COVID experience that we're in, but you can still even network online. There's so many things and ways to do that even online. In fact, in some ways, the networking is easier. It's not quite as personal when you're face to face. But when you were going to go meet somebody before for a cup of coffee, you had to plan your schedule around your work schedule and travel time and everything else. When you do a Zoom call, yeah, you just have to put on a nice shirt, you know, still have your pajamas on the bottom. (laughs) It's it's easier to work in a 30 minute Zoom call than to go get a cup of coffee. So it's actually easier to do these days. I couldn't agree with you more. That's so helpful because it is so often so difficult to know what to say or how to say it. And then as a family therapist as well, on my end, you need to reach out to the children as well. Even, you know, depending on their ages, to me, it's a it's a family issue. And so I'm sure that you had many conversations as a family, I'm guessing, as well to explain, you know, once again, depending on the ages of the children at the time of this transition, but explaining to the children, hey, this is this is a tough thing. And we were talking earlier about how to raise res- resilient children. Well, there's no better way than to image it for them to let them see you working through a very difficult time, even if that means you do get angry and not at them, but you're, you know, I'm angry that I lost or just whatever. It's not repressing it, but imaging it before them so that they can see the pain and the hurt and see the movement through a really difficult time. Because that is going to, that is the way that we develop children who have more resilience and more capacity Oh yeah, and in, in fact, Janelle, uh, when when you when you talk about that, I've often said to people, "You're an example. What do you want people to see? Do you want them to see how you deal with difficulty?" And so I've had you know parents who've said to me, "Yeah, I had a conversation with my kids, and they just smiled and said, okay, Dad, glad we're going to have you around.'" Um, oh, and, how sweet. You know, and then I've also had people who said, "I didn't." talk to my kids. And later, a friend of mine said, my son said to me, mom, I thought we were going to lose our house and have to move. Exactly. And so those little ears have fears that we need to address. Little ears have fears. I love it. Yes. So so how do we, how do we say what's really going on and be honest about it? And, uh, you know, my kids were older, so it was a little bit easier, but they've told me later in life that they said, dad, we just, were impressed how you dealt with what mm. you were going through. Now they also they ribbed me. You know they, you know, Dad, why do you need a car today? You you don't have a job. I need a car. Right, um, they're older. So right, yeah, that's fun. That can, had to be they, so much fun. They can do those sort of things, mm-hmm. and yet I'm I hope that I gave them an example as to how you deal with it, and and so you know it's even things like going to church. I had a friend of mine who was a re- Tired, he's you know he's passed now, but he used to always say, in our most difficult times, we need to be in church and in community. And yes. who knows who's not sitting across the room, looking there, going, 
wow, in the midst of that, they're still in God's house. When I have something happen to me, I need to be there. Yeah. So we just got to keep moving and don't, Mm -hmm. don't retrench. That's, that's Satan working his way and you don't do it. Isolation for sure. And healing, we, you know, the stronger everyday community stands on this fact that healing happens in community does not happen in isolation. We absolutely, it's proven neuroscientifically that we need each other. Oh, gosh, yeah. People people are like sunshine. Um, Everything goes better (laughs) when we're around people. Um, Yes. Otherwise, it feels like a a rainy day in Seattle. Yes. Hard to get the energy as you get when you get sunshine. We need the energy, the positive energy for sure. So I want to just end with this beautiful thought that you bring to us. You say in the book, that joy in this journey can far outweigh the heartache. I think, is that, did you write that in hindsight? <laughs> I think that's a hindsight comment, but I don't yeah. know. It's that I want to know what you mean by joy. So uh-huh. joy in the journey can far outweigh the heartache. What do you mean by joy here? You know, joy is just accepting the good things that come and realizing we experience those good things. I, I've told people, many people, I say, look, I don't wish unemployment on anybody, but I wouldn't trade the experience for anything mm. because through that experience, I met new people. I had new opportunities. God carried me in a difficult time. Mm-hmm. And I'm better because of that process, but so often, and again, guilty of it at times, we focus on the loss instead yes. of what's there. We have, we have a tough time seeing God's grace as we go through it. And there are so many little ways that God mm-hmm. takes care of us. And yeah. so it can become a great time with family and friends and rethinking and recalibrating and moving on mm. to something new and different. It's just hard to feel like it when you're in the barrel, but it, yes. is, it is good for us. It is. And I think that's what I really want to just restate and encourage everyone listening. In our last episode, I spoke about being grounded in grace. And I think that, Dale, you have shared many ways that in these tumultuous times of transition, that we can ground ourselves so that we can stay focused on what is good and what is um, unfolding before us. One of my favorite Psalms, it says, the unfolding of God's word brings light. And I've used that with all of my children and raising them. And, you know, we need to learn to be more, more aware of the unfolding that is in front of us every single day. And I know that my listeners hear me say it all the time, but there's so much beauty around us every day. And in the last episode, I encouraged everyone to take a mental snapshot every day to try and just get out of their head, get out of their, any negativity that's looming over them, like a Seattle, you know, rainy day and look beyond the hunt for the good, make it a treasure hunt whether it's the daffodils that are blooming in my yard right now, whether it's the sound of rain on the roof, something will unfold before you in a time of transition that will ultimately bring you joy. Dale, I thank you so much. Any 
any final words before you tell everybody where we can find you on, on the internet and where we can buy this book? So one of the things that I think I'll close with is saying, recognize that anybody going through that transition is going to struggle to admit the challenges. And so it's how do we open doors? I would say the book is a good gift for people going through it. And it's a door opener when you have an opportunity to give something to people that'll help them. And I think that's an important is how do we reach out and help people? That's again, that's what I'm all about is where are the ways that we help others. And uh, so it's not just for the person. And I often gift them to the spouse too, uh, so that they're reading something together as they go through. So I think the book provides those opportunities. Um, And I like to add, they're short. That's what I love too, is that they are short little readings, devotionals, essays, whatever you want to call them, because in times of transition, we we traditionally can't focus too well. And so that that's another big part of why I love what you're offering. Yes, they're all they're all two pages. And actually in the back of the book, there's a topical index for people that are dealing with a particular issue. They can kind of go straight to where the there's some help for them uh, yeah. to get them to make it through it. So tell us yeah. where we can get this book. Yeah, so the best place is going to be my website, which is dalecryingcamp.com. And if you can just put the way that's spelled out on your site, that'll be great. They I'm going to also- do it right now in case you just, t- if you've got a pen in hand, I'm going to spell it. It's Dale, D A L E, Crying Camp, K R E I E N K A M P. And it will be on all of the show notes for this. And they can also pick it up at, at Amazon. So we, we hope that, yep, there are people that will do it. And then think about if someone gives you that book, gift and pay forward when someone else that you have an opportunity to learn. And, and little by little, we're going to continue to help the people because there are millions of people in this country yes. going through it, not just this year, right. but every year. Right. Exactly. Thank you, Dale. It's been great. So Good. I pray that everyone is taking something to heart and that you will pick up your copy of How Long, Oh Lord, How Long, Devotions for the Unemployed and Those Who Love Them. And until next time, I want you to remember, because this is a very important part of today's conversation, that no matter what, unemployed or employed, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.